listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. Hello, you're listening to the Breakfasters podcast with Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine for the week May 28 to the 1st of June. Uh, this week, we kicked things off with a classic Trauma Tuesday from Jeff Sparrow talking about having to find a mystery parcel. Very mm. traumatic. It was very traumatic. And uh, we also had Dr. Michelle Lim in the studio from the Swinburne Uni talking about loneliness, which is a really fascinating chat. Yeah, loneliness as a health issue. Mm. It's great. Uh, also, I had a, told you all about my mushroom hunting adventure. Oh, yes. And also, I joined the gym. <laughs> What a week. And Larissa Dubesky came in to tell us about katsu sandwiches and other food trends. And then we caught up with, again, Patricia Cornelius, who chatted to us about her play on an MTC, The House of Bernarda Alba. What a week. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You are listening to Breakfasters. It's Tuesday morning. We're going to talk about our traumas for the week in a segment we like to call Trauma Tuesday. Uh, here's a couple of my traumas. Um, now, you remember that um, one of my previous traumas has been no heater at home. Oh, that's yes. a big trauma. Been very cold. So a couple of weekends, not the weekend just gone, but the weekend before that, uh, it was down in Venus Bay and stole a heater. Ooh. So from Kath. Yeah, stole one oh. from Kath. She didn't need it. <laughs> we weren't there. I'm like, let's take the you know, it's one of those little radiator oil heater yeah. things. I'm like, that'd be perfect. <laughs> that'll that'll get us through until we get the split system put in. Um so I'll just I'll just take that because you know, we won't be it's not a problem. No, that's a very good idea. I'm like, thank you, I'm full of good ideas. <laughs> um so took it down and so the past week and a half been lovely and warm. You know, pop the heater on, yeah, sit on the couch. Quite happy to, you know, can stay up a bit longer. It can warm up the whole, it warms up the whole area. The whole area. Beautiful. Yeah, it's really good. And I have it, um, door open, so just next to the, um, in between the uh, bedroom and the living room. So it spreads through the bedroom as well. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And then, um, then was down in Venus Bay again on Friday, Friday night. Was freezing. And oh I was no! Like, Did you have a fire down there? Okay. No. Oh, I thought for the reason in my head you had an open fire. There was, and it's been replaced. Oh. So Kath took it out, and it's been put in this week. Oh. Um. But on Friday night, it was. You know, there there was another heater there, and Kath was like, "You know what? It'd make it warmer if we still had that other oh, heater." No. Oh no! Anyway, so it was very cold. Very cold on Friday. It was very, it was very cold night. But then it warmed up on Saturday, <laughs> especially working hard, getting that angle grinder out, no problems. Um, so that was my. Well, probably that does my, sound very traumatic. Yeah, that was probably one of my biggest traumas. And today, my trauma is I'm wearing um, trousers where they're <laughs> slightly too short. Oh no! That you know, is, like I think it's more tra- traumatic for the people who are with you. <laughs> No, what do you mean? You're not oh, looking like. at them. Uh, so I can feel my ankles being exposed. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what you need is that little heater. Yeah, yeah, a little. Oh, no, that's all right. I just need longer. longer hey, pants. have you just not worn these pants for a while? Yeah. <laughs> And, I'd and you've grown. It's <laughs> <laughs> getting taller. Well, no, it's just one of those things where it's you know it's they got altered and you know they're perfect when you when you stand up. Yeah. 
and then when you sit down, they're just slightly, ever so slightly too short. As anyway. a kid, I was obsessed. Jeff, is your trauma having to listen to the rest of my story? <laughs> You're rubbing your eye, yawning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone no. can hear you yawning. You're it's on a microphone. It's gone past six. I'm allowed to yawn. <laughs> I think that's where we're not allowed to, though. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I was, I was always found it. I was obsessed with men in suits sitting on trains with their legs crossed or sitting because you'd see oh, their legs. You know how hairy their pants pop up? And I thought it was so funny as a kid. And I, I didn't understand why they didn't care because they'd sit down, their pants would go halfway up their legs and they'd always be wearing colourful socks. And I don't know why that amused me so much as a kid. Maybe because men in suits looked so <laughs> professional and they'd sit down, sit <laughs> down and I'd be like, oh, Carefree okay, pleasures of childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm laughing at you, but yeah. maybe. Um, yeah. I had a big trauma yesterday. Oh, yes. I buy lots of things online mm-hmm. and often I can't remember what they are. Drunk. Yeah. No, not drunk. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> so, okay, I got, a, I got a text message from the, the post office yesterday just out of the blue. They said, um, I always said, like, your parcel has arrived but it's not suitable to go in your parcel locker. So I use those. I don't, do, you know, do you know the... the yeah, yeah, where you just... It's like a post office box, but not yeah, really. Yeah, it was like a public parcel. one. Yeah. So it's very handy. It means you can go. You don't have to go to your office hours. Yeah. So, mm. but it's, it's not suitable for, for for being in there. So you have to go and pick it up from the Port Melbourne parcel delivery. Oh my god! Area. What were you getting a pony? This is what I'm thinking. Like, what is this thing that I've ordered? Like, so because I, I just can't. I can't think. What is it that's so big that won't fit in their lockers? And I, and I have to go all the way to Port Melbourne. An, another antique shoe buffer, perhaps. <laughs> That was a good purchase. <laughs> anyway, so I think, okay, well, I'll jump on my bike and go down to Port Melbourne. And it's like about 20 minutes bike ride. Okay. If there is a parcel that does not fit <laughs> into... No, I'm very good at... At what point did you think, oh, yeah, I can carry that home on I'm my bike? I'm very good at carrying I'll just home. dink the donkey oh. home. <laughs> and also, it's a parcel, right? It can't be that big. It's come... Well, yes, it can. Because I par- can't put so. it in the box. Anyway, so I'm riding down to go to Port Melbourne and... And I don't know where this... Some octopus strap. <laughs> I don't know where this, this place is. So I'm looking at my phone to follow it on Google Maps to find where this place is. And I realise I've got 10% charge on my phone. Oh, no. And as I'm riding along, my phone's really old now and the battery drains really quick. And I could, it's like it's draining as we go along. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to get there in time. Right? And also, you need to take the email to show them and an ID to get your thing. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to, my phone's going to be dead. I've gone all this way. Yeah, and you've made a couple of rookie mistakes <laughs> no, before you really left the house. Yeah. So I'm riding along and I get there, I get to this, and it's a business parcel delivery place, right? Mm-hmm. It's this huge bloody warehouse and I get I have 2% phone and there's this right. queue of people waiting to get their parcel. Sorry, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. You didn't think to just put battery saver on your phone or something. It's on my. It's on battery saver. Okay. Every last charge. Anyway, yeah. I get to the, the 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 person at the door. I've got one percent of charge. Literally one yeah. percent of charge. And I show them the thing, and then they go off. And I think, oh god, I made it in time. They go off and they ferret around in their parcel thing, and they come back and say, it's not Port Melbourne. It's supposed to be Melbourne GPO. Oh my. God. Mm. So I've gone all this. I said, how can you do this to me? Yeah. How can you do this to me? But anyway. Did you actually say that? Well, not quite like that. I said, oh, okay, then I'll go back to <laughs> Oh, good. And then anyway, and then my phone went dead, right? So I'm thinking, well, I'm fucked now. I can't pick it up. Yeah. I got them to write the number out on a piece of paper and I took that and I wrote all the way back to Melbourne GPO and then I went in there and then it was a huge queue and I got to the end of the queue and the guy said, oh, I'll go off and get it. And he went and he was like 15 minutes. Trying to find it. And At this cr- point, you're thinking 
something's wrong. And he kept calling other, other people. Oh, my God. He kept coming out and, and then they were all going. And he just had this image that out the back somehow there's this huge pile of passes and they're all just yeah. ferreting around. around. <laughs> I'm just imagining it's a pony still and they're just like, oh, I don't know what to do about this. I don't even know what got here. Anyway, eventually he comes back and he gives it to me. And this is what it was. It was a tiny paperback book that would but have fit you playing in- at home, Jeff is waving around <laughs> a tiny paperback what? So why wasn't it appropriate for you? I don't know. <laughs> Did you complain? No, no, I just took it. <laughs> but they could have put it in my letterbox. It would have fit in my letterbox. Wow. I feel like you traumatic. should raise the complaint. Oh, I always feel so sorry for them. They're also harassed and running about and, and they, they probably don't care either. Maybe you know? not with the staff but with the system. Yeah. Now yeah, I've got my book now. Right. But just that thing like, you know, you're online, you see a book, you think, oh, I like that and then you order it and then you forget about it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you don't do that. Yeah, occasionally. Uh, I've had a lot of real traumas in my life that I'm not going to talk about, mainly to do with my car. That was a great trauma, by That was the a way. really good. <laughs> yeah, I was Very traumatic. What a great story. I feel like I don't have to back that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mainly to do with my car and having to talk with training car salesmen who were just really rude. Oh, but yes. anyway, uh, let's move on from that. So I – well, it's a big trauma. Oh, last night I went to yoga again. Yeah, I told you I had a oh, new yoga place. Oh, yeah, yeah, Yin. I went to Yin Yang. This one's slightly different from Yin. Uh, and it's all good for my bad joints, and that's why I win. And there was only me and my mate Jack and two other people, two other women in the class. And the yoga teacher's great. He's a really good – he's just – like I said, he's got this relaxing accent and he seems to know what he's doing quite well, except that – we decided to teach so that me, because it was such a small class, me and Jack were facing the other two women and we're kind of doing yoga into one another while he stood between us. And it's not that traumatic, except that the other two women were extraordinarily flexible. Right. Oh. Were you about to say beautiful? Yeah. Who were we? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd struggle with that. And me and Jack are very beautiful too. Oh, they were yeah. lovely looking women as well, but just really, really good at yoga. And Jack and I are not really, really good at yoga. We go to try and make ourselves more flexible. And so every... Well, if you were good, you wouldn't have to go. It was you? no. Yeah. Well, no. And every move that we did was mirrored to us by these women who were extraordinarily flexible. And I couldn't... I mean, like, things where you have to pull your leg up and hold it, hold it in your arm. Like, you're doing... You know, like kind yeah, of like before yeah, you yeah. get in a lotus position, I wasn't trying to do that, but hooking like your foot. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't hook my foot into anything. At one point I had my leg around the back of my back <gasps> and I just rolled over kind of silently onto my back and then I just, oh, I, yeah. It like was a turtle. Like a tur- Exactly, <laughs> like a turtle. And it just got to the point where me and Jack were just laughing and luckily the yoga teacher kind of laughed with us and just, not at us, but just laughed with us. But I've never been in a position where I've so like mirrored just been facing exactly what I can't do in my life yeah. and having – it kind of just felt like a – So like an evil parody maybe. It was like an evil parody <laughs> except the women were lovely. I'm sure they didn't mean to be making fun of us with their flexibility. Uh, yeah, so oh, that was – That sounds very traumatic. That was a little bit traumatic. It's pretty good. Yeah, thanks. Good good traumas all around. <laughs> all right, good. Have we talked it out? Three triple R. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff, Geraldine and Sarah. Loneliness is a health issue and needs targeted solutions. That's the title of an interesting article up on the Conversation website. Its author is Dr. Michael Michelle Lim, rather from Swinburne University of Technology. She's joining us in the Breakfasters studio. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thanks, guys. Most people, I guess, would think of loneliness as an emotional state that we all go through at some time or another. How can it be a health problem? 
So we do know now from robust evidence that loneliness actually puts a lot of stress on our physical state. Um, it's not something that uh, should be ignored, and it's a signal for us to connect with others because it's a biological need. And we don't, when we don't actually have that need met, it puts a lot of stress on our physical state, and therefore we're actually more likely to suffer from a range of chronic health diseases because we are lonely. And I think there's um, recent evidence that says actually we would have a 26% chance of dying earlier because we feel lonely. So it's pretty high. It's extraordinary. Yeah, and it's actually um, higher than um, the risk for obesity. So this is an issue that's not actually um, widely acknowledged or not known. And that's, this is one of the things that we're trying to kind of highlight in the public health space. How are you defining loneliness? I mean, how does someone know if they're lonely rather than just, you know, being by themselves? So loneliness is often, when you when you say that word, I think people often think about this lonely old person in an age um, home. Um, and actually, what we do know is that loneliness is, is actually subjective. So... Um, you know, loneliness could look like you and me, you know, it's um, kind of not feeling like you're in tune with other people, you're not really uh, feeling like other people understand you. So it's this subjective feeling rather than necessarily objective thing, like, you know, someone who has to live by themselves to actually be lonely. Mm-hmm. A lot of people live by themselves and don't feel lonely. Some There have been times where I've felt incredibly lonely but have been surrounded by thousands of people. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, and I think they actually uh, coined a very recently coined a new term, which is called the lonely paradox, where we are increasingly more connected with each other on the digital space. And, you know, we, we can also jump on the plane and get to the other side of the world really quickly. But it doesn't necessar- necessarily mean we're actually... Um, have more meaningful connections. Mm-hmm. You, in the book, you say that the people most prone to loneliness are the, those over 65 and those under 25. And yes. I was really surprised by that because I always think of teenagers and young people as some of the most social humans. But is that part of that, that kind of digital disconnection as well? Yes. Yeah, so I think what's happened here is that um, the, the predictors across those age groups are quite different. You know, with mm. older adults, we know it's things like bereavement and illness, mobility, you know, not being able to get out of their house. Um, but then you look at the other end of the spectrum, which is, again, another vulnerable, um, I guess, um, uh, group, which is young adults, where they don't actually have the skills. They don't actually um, know how to, they don't know themselves. They have, you know, poor social identity. They probably might have a history of bullying at school. They're trying to fit in. Um, high level emerging mental illnesses um, that that predicts loneliness back. Um, So we have two ends of the spectrum and they seem like they're embedded within um, rich social environments, but they, they don't necessarily have those meaningful connections. One of the most fascinating parts of your conversation article for me was the passage where you described loneliness being transmitted from person to person, almost like a disease. Can you explain how that works? So this is a study that was done in the US where it looked at... um uh, identifying how loneliness gets, well, as they call it, is a contagion, acts as a contagion. It's very similar to some of the studies that have been done in depression or even kind of um, STD, um, sexual health um, issues about how um, if you have a particular condition, how it might actually affect people around you. And with loneliness, we don't know yet exactly how it's transmitted. But what we do know from that study is that when you're lonely... Um, you are more likely to have lonely friends 
and your lonely friends are more likely to have lonely friends. So there's up to three degrees of separation that they can detect. Um, We don't know how that is actually transmitted. Is it your cognitive uh, thoughts and you're relaying uh, fewer pro-social behaviors to other people and therefore they can they feel more rejected or you know is there another mode of transmission and that's something i'm interested in actually trying to find out and trying to design a study actually to understand this this transmission process uh so what are some of the initiatives do you think um we can put into place to to combat this like you know there's loneliness so you know if you're feeling lonely where do you go what do you do so first, first things first, I think we need to destigmatize loneliness. I think there's sometimes when we say the word lonely, people kind of get a bit of a visceral reaction, a negative reaction, like, mm. oh, you know, you're somehow fragile or you're weak or you're vulnerable, when in fact you're just feeling, you know, something as basic as feeling thirsty f- today or feeling hungry. It's not something that we should be afraid of. Um, but also um, focusing on th- those uh, meaningful connections. And you don't have to go out and make a new friend, like I think, about, you know, what about the people around you? You know, can you uh, forge a a healthier or more meaningful relationship with the people that you work with on a day-to-day basis? Mm -hmm. Can you say hello to your neighbor? So those those kinds of things are really important for you to kind of identify. If you do feel lonely, what can I do within my current routine and my current ability and my current, um, you know, that I feel competent enough to do those things? What can I do to actually make the difference? I recently read Johan Hari's book, uh, Lost Connections, and that looks uh, into loneliness a lot and the connection specifically between loneliness and then developing mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. But the point he makes in the book is that the way that we, our social society is set up right now is, is conducive only to loneliness, basically, that we don't encourage people to form connections in the way we used to through community bonding. Do you think because of that we need action from maybe the government or, uh, you know, someone to kind of step in and to change the way that we connect with one another or our public spaces? So this is a a really good point. And I think that there has been in recent years kind of a breakdown of uh, community um, networks, um, including things like religious institutions where they used to harbour a lot of community work and and connection with people. And people are increasingly... um, you know, living by themselves, they're um, traveling away from their community, so they're going to work. You know, that's you know probably a far away. You know, like me, for example. <laughs> you know, it takes me an hour to get to work. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a breakdown, and there's a risk, there's a risk factor. All these risk factors of actually lon- of loneliness is actually um, increasing. And therefore, we do need to think about how we actually combat loneliness um, in not just in the public health space, but you know what can we do in terms of um, addressing loneliness in the you know within government policies, uh, within community um, programs. And even just the health space, you know, GPs kind of screening for loneliness and actually seeing that that's actually a risk factor for more severe mental health um, illnesses and physical health illnesses. We don't have any of these initiatives right here in Australia, um, but in the UK, of course, they are much um, further ahead where they have just recently appointed a minister for loneliness. Wow. Yeah, so so perhaps Australia would take notice and, and actually kind of um, consider that loneliness is a serious health issue that affects not just, well, not just our physical or mental health, but also our community. Isn't there a risk of a kind of paradox, though, in that one of the things our society does that kind of fosters that disconnection 
is tells us all that as individuals we need to be responsible for ourselves we're all by ourselves and it's everyone against everyone isn't there a danger if we frame this as a health issue that we're just adding another layer of things that people need to do to become successful individuals you know you've got to be rich you've got to be this and you've not got to be lonely as well (laughs) i i i thought about that quite extensively actually it's like why do we need someone to tell us that you know (laughs) we have to connect with people but it's the same with obesity right you know we, we have um, guidelines of how to eat well, how to exercise well, and um, our social health is, is actually part of that spectrum. But there's actually no guidelines or recommendations, or even kind of emphasis in schools about how friendships actually would really um, uh, support us throughout kind of you know life events and life uh, traumas. You know, there's no discussion or acknowledgement of of those things. That why why is that the case versus you know, all, all the other guidelines that we get. Like, yeah. how is this different? I think there's, it's a it's a really important step just to label it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that makes a big difference in moving for, for, from that. Like, rather than trying to fix it, you identify that you are lonely and then you can move on from there. Yeah, and I think that destigmatization of actually saying that word, mm. you know, is really important. Some people go, you know, let's flip it on its head and say let's talk about social connections and which is great for some people but actually maybe the work needs to be destigmatizing loneliness and it's not depression you know some people yeah. kind of think oh it's depression and they think it's something a bit more sinister uh, loneliness is, loneliness is very much just focused on your interpersonal relationships rather than um, when you're thinking about depression it kind of is this negative view about everything across the spectrum not just your relationships Yep. If you need to talk to people, someone about some of the issues that we've talked about, you can call Lifeline 13 11 14. The article is Loneliness is a Health Issue and Needs Targeted Solutions. It's up on the Conversation website. We've been talking about it with its author, Dr. Michelle Lim from Swinburne University of Technology. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Three. Triple. You're listening to Breakfasters on the weekend. Um, Jeff, I know you've been hanging out for this. I have been. Um, I went mushroom hunting. Oh. And it, so I went with, um, Kath and I went with uh, friends of ours, um, Raquel and Ben. And um, so we went and stayed because they live out near Frankston Way um, and along the Mornington Peninsula is where you've, it's a good place to go hunting for mushrooms. Sure. Um, and so we went and stayed, spent the night at their house and they'd, they'd been doing their own research into what mushrooms to get oh. and had done a bit of their own, right, hunting themselves, picking mushrooms. Um, so they were talking about it at dinner the night before, thinking how much, you know, this would be good, we'll get some more information and be a bit clearer. Um, and then at the mushroom hunting, it was like, I don't think I learnt anything new. Oh, <laughs> um, well, how much do you know about mushrooms? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not a lot at all, at all. So it was like, it, honestly, it, it was completely different to what I expected it to be. Like I thought this mushroom hunting, we'd go, they'd give us a rundown on ba- of the basics of, you know, what's mm. good and what's bad. What's a mushroom, what's a toadstool? And then, yeah. then did you think you'd be hunting like, like yeah, a and fox? Then, yeah, and then I thought 
Well, I thought we'd be out in a field or something and then they'd go, okay, so... Off you go. Off you go and you can come back and... With your baskets um, laden with mushrooms. Yeah. Mm, that's I what did, I was imagining. Yeah. I did, find, I did find out why you use baskets, though. Why? To spread the spores. Ah, yeah. So there's more mushrooms for next year. Mm-hmm. Hello. So, but I learnt that from dinner with Ben and Raquel. Oh. <laughs> um, the thing was, that the the information was given. Absolutely, there was lots and lots of information given. But I was very much distracted by other things, and also, um, you know, the guy doing the the talking. There was just a there was a lot of us, and it was hard to kind of get in and be able to oh, hear see what was going people. on. He was, yeah, and he, was, he was very thorough, very thorough with his information, and I my attention span was very short, so oh. he would um, perhaps too thorough. Yeah. For my liking. For others, perfect. Yeah. You know? Weren't you sort of, I would have thought you'd be motivated to concentrate by thinking that some mushrooms are poisonous and some aren't and you want to know the difference between them. That yeah. would sharpen your attention, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Surely it would if you were keen on eating the mushrooms. But uh-huh. I'm not that keen on eating them. So yeah. I was just like, which ones are fun <laughs> and which ones aren't, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> maybe this wasn't the activity for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Maybe, but it was, um, it was, you know, I, I did learn some things, um, you know, basically I came up with my own rules of, of the mushrooms, oh. um, which do not fit in at all. So don't like, like for me, I just wanted the basics. I wanted a, you know, if it's red, then you're dead, then the you're dead you know, ah, or yes, that's better. if it's brown. Put it down in or your basket. shove it down yeah. in your mouth. Oh, yeah. If it's brown, shove it down. Just as I say, no one take this advice because it is not real. No. Yeah, it is we absolutely. Just make, no one. We just make it rhyme yeah. words. It is absolutely it is not complete real. nonsense. But it it kind of works. I can see what you mean, though. Like if you had been given, like when you used to be beer, then grass, you're on your ass. Grass, yes. the beer, the answer is clear. Yes. Not advice that I'm giving either. At all. At all. At all. So it was... But we found some, you know, some poisonous mushrooms. They were fun. Um, And, uh, you know, found all different types of... So, you know, would you know how to identify a poisonous mushroom now, do you think? Um, I think I know what a pine mushroom is. I know what that looks like. Are they the good ones or the bad ones? They're the good ones. Ah. So, um, I could, yeah, I I think I could identify one of them. And when you're hunting them, where where do you find them? Oh, so this is the thing. Like, you go just along... um, Along the side of the road and stuff like you under pine trees, pine trees is you know pretty ideal. Now they were very big on talking about not going into other people's properties. Fair enough. Yeah. Is that fair? Because I was like, if I didn't go on that, I reckon that's a legal thing that they have to tell you. Yeah. Because we, we used to always go into other people's property. People's. I'm not. Encur- I'm not advising that either. I'm not. I'm. I'm not advising that. I'm not. <laughs> But, but when we were I, kids, that's how we yes, got our mushrooms. Same. It, for go, me, it was yeah. like, oh, yeah, you just jump out, you know. Jump into the next paddock. Yeah. Well, I see why that, but they can't. Yeah, I couldn't really have. How many of the of you were there on this trip? 
Well, it, it, at first in the morning we went on the mushroom hunting thing, the, the group thing, and there was a, quite a few of us. And so we were just going along the side of the road and stuff and found some there. We found a few pine mushrooms there, which they then took back to the um, winery where we started. And you got a glass of wine and they um, cooked up the mushrooms so we could have a taste of it. Um, it was oh. very nice. And How did they cook them up? Um, just in a bit of um, sunflower oil, they said. And it was oh, yeah. Was that nice? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That sounds lovely. Um, I only had like a just a little bit because we had a lot to to get around to everybody. So because um, we didn't collect that many, so we you know we did that. And then um, after lunch, we went. Let's go do our own hunting. Ah, oh, and here's oh. where it all went wrong. No, no, here's where it all went oh. right. <laughs> like we were, if you it's know, brown, put it, shove it down. <laughs> Uh, well, here's here's one thing that I did learn with the the mushroom. Um, if it's if, green, yeah, keep them keen. Um, like leave it in the ground. Uh, if it's uh, like a brown mushroom, like a, or a field mushroom, ah. you can quite often find them. But he said, this is the one thing that I learnt from from the guy running the doing the talk. He said the first thing you've got to remember is have a look at where you are. It's really important to note oh. wh- where are you standing right now. Where are you? And that's because if it, especially when it comes to a field mushroom, are you in a field? Yes. Ah. And it's, if you're not in a field, then it's probably not a field mushroom. Okay. What do you mean? Like if you're under well, a tree or something? Yeah. Maybe it's a pine. Or on the side of the road or something like That's that. That's good advice. Yeah. So a field mushroom, you've just got to be in a field. Yeah. All right. But other than that. It's pretty much the same as one that. Other tree. than that, that's where I tuned out. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? Because like, at one point he was like, he said, you know, because he said, you know, it's important to know where you are. Like right now, I'm standing on this side of the road. And then he walked across the road and went, now I'm standing on this side of the road. And then that's when I went, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I can't. I don't understand. Yeah, I can't keep up. Like this is, it's too much. Um, and just, I just want to know. I just want to know what your rhyme is. What is the rhyme compared to where you're standing on which side of the road? I don't know. So, I went and someone had a poisonous mushroom. And I'm like, can I have a look at that? And I just got distracted. Very easily got distracted. Anyway, in the afternoon we went. We know what we're looking for. We know we're trying to find the pine mushrooms. And then we're walking along, and it feels very secretive. Like it's all there's lots of there's lots of people out hunting for them. So you see cars on the parked on the side oh. of the road, and ah. it's all like, oh, there they are. And it's all you know. So can you kind of imagine the music that's playing? Like oh, Inspector Gadget. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The Benny Hill thing. And we were like, oh, really? <laughs> what were you? Oh, yeah. We were like, doing oh yeah. The- <laughs> Everyone running in and out of the bushes. <laughs> So we would like, like, oh, amateurs can't park the car, and so you don't want to know where people. No. You don't want people to know where you're hunting. Ah. So you know, camouflage. Yeah, you got to hide your car. Just go down some dirt road, <laughs> and then oh man, there was one point where we walked along, and there in someone's property there were so many beautiful. Amazing pine mushrooms. Black gold. We, yeah, we left them there. We did not touch them, but we went further Why? along because it's just on someone else's property. The and oh, the people are. Fire with, their shotgun at you if you. Yes, that's oh, what the God. mushroom guy said. I was imagining you dressed up as a. A bush or something. Oh. Yeah, you know, like shuffling around. Oh, mate, there was one point, though, where <laughs> right at the end, we went, well, there's no fence at this bit. Ah. Doesn't, doesn't belong to anyone if there's no Open fence. Slather. No fence. Yeah. Well, there was no fence on no one fence. side. Get in. <laughs> Wentz. Yeah. 
Wentz is <laughs> no fence. You're in. Don't be dense. <laughs> Go through the fence if there's no fence. All right, so we <laughs> we get in there. But it's, it's kind of like the, the fence had fallen down, let's be honest. Oh. There, there was a fence, so there was but it had fallen fence. down. And we're like, okay, that means we can walk through that. That's totally fine. That's like the logic if there's a door but it's open. Yeah. <laughs> just let yourself in. Here you go. Yeah. We're just, we're just collecting mushrooms. Anyway, so we got heaps of mushrooms, but then we were coming back. A car was going past and I went, everyone, get down, get down. And we all hid behind the, the fence post while this car and in the bushes while the car went that past. That is so exciting. You were dressed as a bush. Yeah. And what did you do when you, what did you do with all these mushrooms? Oh, yeah, we gave them to um, – because here's it when you, you have to cook them like in, within a day, otherwise they – they're no good. So, and Kath and I, we'd eaten so much that day. We're like, we're not, we're not going home to cook these. So, we gave them to um, to her mum, and hopefully, she made a risotto or something. And hopefully, we might she's, get hopefully some she's alive. alive. Hey, got to no, shout, no, shout out to the person who came up with no fence, no offence. Yes, oh. thank you. That is much better than don't be dense. <laughs> don't be dense. <laughs> Go through the fence. Three triple R. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. It's the segment with the best theme. Food interlude with Larissa Jubeski. How are you going, Larissa? Good, thank you. What is our food interlude this week? I thought we'd talk about meat and bread. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, it's sure. a fairly broad topic, Classic. but yeah, it's a very it's a subject close to my heart and many other people's hearts as well. So, I guess what I, I you know that the, the big headline news is the burger is so over. So, anybody oh. who's out there still eating just your traditional American burger, get with the katsu sando. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we you are behind it here. the times. Where yes. do you get them? Katsu sando. Well, you can get them at lots of places now. It's kind of going off, but it's like there's this whole new. Japanese influence coming into Melbourne cafe and restaurant food and it's not just your traditional Japanese restaurants but yeah it's um it's a gorgeous little uh, sort of fluffy white bread sandwich with a crumbed pork cutlet oh, inside yeah. it and then you do you you put on sort of thinly sliced white cabbage and a tonkatsu sauce which has this gorgeous little history of it was actually invented by the Japanese because they were trying to invent their own version of Worcestershire sauce. Oh, yeah. Oh. And they got it slightly wrong. <laughs> so the result was tonkatsu sauce. And what's it taste like for those? Well, it does familiar? take slightly Worcestery, but it's a lot sweeter. Um, it's really quite addictive. And apparently in Japan, they you know how we call sauce... That's tomato sauce, but we yeah. generically call it sauce. In Japan, tonkatsu sauce is sauce. Oh. Yeah. And they basically put it on everything. So, you know, I've got mates who've been in Japan and they've seen, um, you know, teenagers at sort of a Western uh, restaurant sticking it on spaghetti and everything, which oh, I wow. think is delightfully hilarious. Yes. Oh. But anyway, so the katsu sando is like my big news. and um, But there are just lots of different little um, sort of Japanese-style sandwiches coming up. So, and it's just really nice to see because I'm just so sick of sliders. Oh my god, I'm so sick of sliders. Yeah. Do you guys do sliders? No, no. I, I, they kill me, and they're always the special at the pub. Yeah, 
yeah, and I'm just over it. Yeah. yeah. I was at this Japanese restaurant last night doing a review and they had a um, soft shell crab slider on the menu and my husband stupidly ordered it. I was like, it's so inauthentic, you can't do that, doll. And it was the size <laughs> of my head, this thing. So what? I got it completely wrong. A slider's meant to be like a little petite thing so you can just have a cheeky slider and then move on to your whatever. But it was this huge moon-shaped thing oh. that was like, well, there's your well, dinner. That's a, that's a burger. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So all of our definitions are shifting and, oh. yeah, I'm finding that really quite interesting. So what makes something become in? So it has been for a couple of years dude food, so burgers, yeah. pulled pork everywhere, pulled yeah. pork of everything. What who suddenly goes out with the pulled pork in with the pork stencil? Is there a room somewhere? Yeah. I actually think there is a brain's trust. It's a bit like the UN and they all sit around going, hey, hey fellas, what's it going to be? And it would be all men because, you know, yeah, all the best chefs are men and I've just put that in my air commas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, who knows? But it's just I, I'm really enjoying the whole cultural appropriation that's going on because Andrew McConnell, for example, you know, he kind of rules Melbourne Rest. He's got a really awesome abalone katsu sando going on at Cutler and Co. And you know it's pretty posh and everything. Um, and he does this pork version at Supernormal. By the way, I'm not on his payroll. But the interesting <laughs> thing is, I was sitting at Supernormal recently, and you sort of have to get your your sando at the start of the lunch rush because because they run out. And I was over, well, I was eavesdropping the two businessmen next to me and they were sitting there saying, oh, you know, it's all really popular once a white guy chef starts making it. No. Which I thought was kind of an interesting point that these, um, you know, suited chaps were making. But the whole thing is is that there's this sort of, you know, cross-cultural give and take and so really the katsu sando is the result of sort of American GIs going to Japan in the first place because oh. that's where their love of this fluffy white bread comes from. You know, that really high GI stuff that will mm. just send you into a diabetic coma if you <laughs> eat too much yes. of it. So, you know, it's not Japanese per se, but nor is it Western. So it's just nice to see that this little give and take. Do you ever see or have you seen recently any of these trends that kind of haven't worked? Like someone's been trying to push something, oh. thinking it's going to be the next big thing and then yeah. it just falls on its face? Have you heard of the, the ramen burger disaster of 2017? <laughs> no. <laughs> Escaped? We, we, we try not to talk about it. For anyone who wrote about the ramen burger, it's quite embarrassing. Oh, no. I may be in that category. What was, a, what was um, it? Well, you know, ramen is a soup noodle, noodle yeah. essentially. Uh-huh. So some bright spark, I think it started in America, <laughs> had the idea that you get the noodles and you fry them into a puck, which is your, your uh, it's your bread. It's your bread carbohydrate substitute. So right. these crunchy ramen noodles that sandwich a burger. So oh. you bite into this crunchy, gross, disgusting, <laughs> squishy thing. I can't believe we were actually excited about it for a while, but it was, you know, one of those Franken foods. Um, just horrible, really. And did you actually enjoy it when you first had it? Oh, and it was dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's part of my job to write about trends. So I thought, hey, you know, let's do the ramen burger here. Yeah. And so if you can invent a new sandwich, you're in with a trend. Yeah. Potentially, if yeah. it's good. Absolutely. There is actually another new sandwich I wanted to share with you. Oh, please. Place, please do. There's this place in um, Collingwood called Congress and they're doing, it's it's a pig's head terrine sandwich. So it's a fried pig's head terrine, but it's wow. fried with 
chicken jus inside it. So you know the Shaolong Bao, the little Shanghai soup dumplings? Yes. Which are delicious and everybody loves them. Yeah. So you bite into this and it's sandwiched again in white fluffy high GI bread. You bite into it and the and the pig's head terrine oh. schnitty kind of explodes <gasps> with this chicken soupy. I mean, you don't wear white when you order it. Ugh. It would be an absolute disaster, but it's wow. so delicious. Oh, that yeah. sounds delicious. So that's another good thing. The pig's head is confronting now, yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> 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 to get past the pig's head. Yeah, yeah. When I was first starting out in food writing, I um, ordered the head cheese one night. I thought, oh, that sounds nice, some nice cheese. And head cheese is basically um, jowls and no, all, no, the, all the head bits. Please not have that conversation. Sort of, yeah. It's tasty. <laughs> Well, that is that is a food food trend, though. It, you know, um, no waste food. Exactly. So exactly. there we go. Yeah. So what happens now that this food trend does, does this affect all of the burger stores that have popped up in Melbourne? Say over, do they kind of evolve generally when these trends move on, or do you think that burgers are a staple that we'll always be into? Oh, I think all the sign writers are going to be pretty busy at the moment. You know, whiting out burger oh. and putting on <laughs> <Cat Sandos>. <laughs> And did some of these trends like happen first overseas and then get yeah. exported here? Like I was thinking about all those hot star chicken places. You know, those Which sort of, ones? Or those, the, fried chicken. Yeah, those, those sort of Chinese oh, chicken. That Korean seem to be, fried chicken. Korean yeah. fried chicken, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything starts overseas. Yeah, I'm right. sorry to be besmirch the local industry <laughs> but you know everybody's on instagram these days it's that fomo thing yeah. and so every chef is looking at insta and you know and you know it's it's an awesome tax break for them to go overseas on fact-finding missions where you basically <laughs> go and plunder <gasps> menus from overseas it happens so much but it does make me laugh that here if a chef came here to australia to get inspired i'll be going back to i don't know florida going hey guys <laughs> smashed avo <laughs> the next big thing it's never going out <laughs> excellent thanks so much larissa dubesky we'll talk to you again soon you're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You are listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Uh, now, hold your applause, but <laughs> I, I joined the gym this week. Well Thank done. You. Thank a you. A nice job. Thank you. Uh, I talked about this briefly last week about potentially, you know, going. To, I was trying to decide between two different gyms. Um, and I chose the one that was closest to my house because I thought if I'm, I only have to walk down the road, then I'm much more likely absolutely to do it. And you know what else? You get you get gym guilt because you're going to be walking past it more often as well. Oh. Oh, I feel that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Sort of coming from the opposite direction though. It's all right. It's some negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. The old yin and yang. The old yin and yang. <laughs> and also the only um, well, one of the major reasons for me potentially going to the other gym was that they provide free breakfast. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. They have what? like like muffins and stuff. <laughs> no, 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 like but like or maybe no, but they'd have like um make you feel guilty and then, then you go to the gym. I think it'd just be like cereal and um and like fresh fruit. Like a bit and of a stuff. buffet. Mm. Oh, that, is pretty, maybe, that is pretty tempting. Oh, yeah. It was like I, I used to go to this gym years ago and I'd forgotten about that aspect of it. And oh. also I really like this other gym because in the showers they had um, shampoo and, and soap. Love that. I yeah. used to go to one that had shampoo and conditioner and hair dryers. Yes, and hair dryers oh. as well. And it provides food. Yeah. 
So we'll just move in just there. It's like home, <laughs> I know. Well, it's very, you know... We've got TVs happening all the time. Very Entertainment. Con- yeah, conscious of it, you know, if you're renovating your bathroom, good to have a good gym. Yeah, oh, and if I, you haven't bought mm, any food. I'm not, I was going to say I need a gym out. I'm having problems with my hot water at the moment and it keeps there cutting out. So most go. of my showers are cold. Pop into the and gym. And it's uh, been horrific. But I was thinking maybe I just need to start going to the gym more regularly so I can have hot showers. Do you yeah. find that they motivate you? The cold showers? No, I'm finding that I'm swearing and punching the wall a lot in the shower. <laughs> uh, also, this this other gym that I was potentially going to go to was like kind of on the on the way home. So in my mind, I was like, I could ride to work and then I, I'd ride home, but on the way, stop off at the gym, have breakfast, do a workout, have a nice hot shower, wash my hair, go home, hair, hair dryer. And also they have hair products and, and deodorant and stuff. Everything that sounds you can do. Oh, ideal. Like it really a hotel. does. Like a hotel. Uh, anyway, I went for the one down the road because I thought, chances are that I'm not going to ride home. I'm going to find some excuse not to go past the gym on the way home. Yes. So, uh, and I, I thought, do you know what? I'll book in um, part of the motivation for me going, to, it, like it's hard to find the motivation. So I thought I will book in a session with a um, with a PT, personal trainer, and just get a good uh, routine. Program. Yes. Program. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Need to get a good good program because and there was, there was one time where I would go to the gym regularly and – and I didn't mind it because I had this really good program that I was into and, and stuff. Yeah. So I went, okay, I'll get that organised. So I booked in with a PT and I did that the other day. And um, so we sat down together and she goes, okay, okay, first of all, how, how often do you think you can go to the gym? How often are you going to come to the gym? Be honest. How often will you do it? And I went, oh, three times a week. And she went, great. When? And I went, oh, Tuesdays, oh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. Um, she went, great, what time? And I went, oh. Uh, and I said, like, 12 o'clock. She goes, brilliant, there you go, 12 o'clock every day. That, that's what you do. Not every day, but every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. That's 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 what you do now. That's the hardest part, working out when you go to the gym. Gosh. This is what you do now. Jeez, mate, Fridays. Can you remember what we're like on Fridays? Yeah, but Friday, how much more do you enjoy a beer after a workout? Yes, yes. Guilt-free beer, mate. Okay, I like that's, that. That's where I'm I heading. I like that. That's, that was my, where my mind was going. Yeah, my mind went to the fact that we're all falling asleep by Friday at about 11 a.m. Yes. Yeah. Have <laughs> work out gym, through it. Yeah, work out, nap, beer. Perfect. So good, Nailed right? It. I wonder if that's what the personal trainer had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think so. So, and so yesterday, you know, yesterday was Tuesday. And she said, "You can go." She gave me a little um, some things to do in, mm. because I've got another session booked in with her on on Friday, which is when I get my full program. And she goes, "Just do this in the meantime before we have our first session." And she goes, "So, you know, so I had twelve o'clock Tuesday. I went, oh, that's that's my time to go to the gym. And even when I was riding home, I'm driving home yesterday, in my mind, I was like." I could go to the gym this afternoon, like at some stage, and then when I got home it was like, you know, midday, and I'm like, no, nah, this is your gym time. Gym good. time. Good. That's just, really good. Just go. Uh, so I went down and I um, got my mat out. Was I did one oh. plank oh. for 30 seconds, <laughs> got through that, and then I had to take a phone call and I was mucking around on my phone, so I'm just lying down on this <laughs> mat. <laughs> 
and then someone someone from the gym comes over and I'm like, oh, sorry, do I have, do I have to move? Because I noticed there was a lot of people were kind of surrounding me a little bit and I'm like, do I have to move? And he goes, well, no, actually, yes, but um, also I'm about to do a, a class and I, I, I just wanted to invite you to, to my class. And I was oh. like, what is it? And he goes, it's boot camp. And oh. I, went, oh. I went, oh, gosh. But you know what I'm like? An opportunity presents itself. <laughs> Say yes. Say yes. And I went, oh. okay, yes, because he said it's half an hour. And I went, all right, I can, do, I can do it for half an hour. I'll do it. I feel like you've gone here from zero to 100. Yes, from no lying gym around to the floor. Mate. Mate. You're, you're literally and <laughs> also, you know, overall in your life. Yeah, yeah, but also I had to, like, I just kind of thought about it and went, it's half an hour. I've got the right clothes on. I can do it, you know. Oh, yeah. Even the words boot camp kind of turned me off. Yeah. It just makes me feel someone shouting at you. Yeah. Oh, there was none of that, thank God. It was just circuit training. Right. And I just um, – and also circuit training, it's so easy to cheat and I did so much <laughs> cheating. <Jeez. laughs> like it's this just, is not in the spirit of <laughs> uh, – I know, but I'm, I put in a bit of effort. That's good. But I'm, I'm less likely to be worried about people looking at me um, I've just gotten over that aspect of it. I'm like, yeah. you have to. The first one, you have to jump up on a box, all you know, for a minute. And I, you know, did it a couple of times, and I spent a lot of time just kind of breathing, going, working myself up to jumping up on the box. <laughs> and then there was, a, I had to do burpees, and they're like, oh no, oh Jesus, the asthma's flaring. I better go get my puffer out of the locker when I'm supposed to be doing burpees, and you know, stuff like that. But I got through it, and I did it. <laughs> I just can imagine the guy riding the boot camp <laughs> watching you the whole time and going, look at it, pathetic. Yeah, yeah. So how, how do you think you're positioned going forward with this? Uh, it means I'll be going to the gym at uh, maybe a bit earlier <laughs> so I don't have to do the boot camp again. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Tune to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. MTC is opening the House of Bernarda Alba tomorrow night with a season that's running until the 7th of July at the Fairfax Studio. It's a play originally by Federico Garcia Lorca, but it's been adapted by the wonderful Patricia Cornelius, who is joining us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hi. Garcia Lorca may not necessarily be a name known to all of our listeners. Who was he? What did he write? It's actually unfortunate that he's not a, a kind of more known quantity in terms of the art world, and um, that, that he's a he's a, um, a a fabulous writer. He's a, a poet, and I, I think most people would know his plays or have uh, done them at school, um, and that would be Yerma and Blood Wedding and and the House of Bernardo Elba. So that that sort of trilogy is fairly famous and then others know him through his poetry and then others know him because he was murdered by the fascists and at a really ripe age of I think about 34 or something and um, it, it was a, a miserable time and he, his, his work reflected um, that the politics and the repression of, of that period very powerfully. So what attracted you to a Spanish playwright from that era of the Spanish Civil War? What parallels did you see between, say, ultra-conservative Catholic Spain and rural WA, which is where this play is set? Uh, uh, the attraction the attraction wasn't really um, so much about about what, what I, how I could see it 
transferred here. Like I, that was that was that's been the hard work of it. The the play itself still resonates, and it, if, if you put on a Lorca, that Lorca play and you put it on Weld uh, tomorrow, it's just fabulous. And of course. Really great classics kind of live um, because one can see their own world in it no matter what time. But but what was sort of powerful about the suggestion of, of the adaption was how I could, as an Australian playwright, kind of um, itch away at who we are and what kind of repression lives here. And certainly the parallel in terms of the Catholic Church, which is so prominent in the in the play... It, it, I don't think it works here. So it, I kind of had to find a whole a whole kind of um, different take on what that repression is in terms of us. And and the, but the marvelous thing about um, that play is it has really evocative uh, indica- indicators. And so Elba comes in and she demands silence, and the bells stop. And the children stop their chatter and see she comes. She's immensely in control, and so for me that resonated in terms of what are we, the most silent of nations? Who, who are we? That we are keep the secrets from our past so dreadfully, and and so I felt that there was something in that that I wanted to mine. Perhaps then, could you give us an outline of the basic narrative? of the play. It's about a strong woman imposing order on um, a family of daughters, is that? Yeah, so so much order that she's um, after the death of the the husband, she orders that they um, be bunkered down in their very small village, in, the, in but in particular in their very their very uh, their house, bunkered down for eight years. <laughs> Wow. So I felt like, oh, my God, that's a bit of a challenge. I could <laughs> <laughs> you know, just have sort of a matricide. Like you'd be murdering your mother after about <laughs> eight years was a bit you know, a bit of an ask. So at least I've sort of got it down to eight weeks and um, my, my Elba can control and who's Bernadette can control her family and she's got good she's they're they're out in the um desert they're in a mining community and she feels she can keep them there for 8 weeks but mostly her motivation is because she needs to um arrange the financial situation so that she's in control so it really the El- the Elba is um Lorca's Elba is about control, about control of her children, of the world around her. She's she's heinous. They're all heinous. That's a, another delight. I, I like to write shit characters. I, I don't, <laughs> sort of um, gorgeous to be able to to be able to reveal the the barnacles and the the contradictions and the, the actual downright miseries of people and their meanness. So it, it's. Uh, and there's a kind of modern notion about oh I can't identify with that person or that character I don't know I don't like any of them well you know this art isn't about you liking or identifying often art is about recognizing how uh, heinous one can go that that's exciting. What drew you then to mining in particular and to making this in a to setting it in a mining town and making it a mining family what did you kind of play around with any other ideas before you landed on that one? Um, I mean, there's some really famous translations. So a famous one in Scotland is they've used it as a, he was a gangster and uh, um, so that the, the, 
the mother and the, the daughters are left after he's murdered. And so there, there's a whole kind of thing about corruption of money and the corruption of communities through uh, the, the, the misuse of their money. Uh, but with... The the idea of I think we took, we did a, a lot of talk. Um, uh, Letitia Kacheris is the the director, and we had a number of workshops, and we kind of really were interested in the Gina Reinhardt story yeah. and the the sense of one controlling the land, one believing that that all the all its treasures are for you or without payment, um, the, that you can loot it, that you're doing the nation a favour. By um, taking out its its treasures and and um, putting you on the map in that in that kind of way, and just you, the peculiarities of her in relationship to the family, and um, what 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 is the most important is absolutely fascinating. So, I found myself reading her bloody biography, and you sort of think, <laughs> oh, that's the last thing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it was kind of fascinating to be yeah. able to have. A kind of depiction of the mindset that is about a capital above family, above all money. Money speaks, and money speaks in Australia. Money speaks everywhere. See, there is a nothing kind of new about that, but to kind of personalise it into a family where your, the mother is meant to be the nurturer. The mother is, you know, we've got this really old notion of her being essentially good. To have one that's not so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's sort of fascinating, really. Uh, the cast in- includes, it, it's a pretty great cast and it, obviously it, it is all women. Um, Which and is sort of rare. Yes. Really rare. It is really ra- mm. rare. And also it includes women of colour in in the cast as well. So is this is that a conscious effort for you when you're writing? Do you think about, you know, um, minorities? I guess it, we always see men. So is it conscious for you to write you know, things for women and, and also, you know, have women of colour included in your cast? I think it's it's interesting as a playwright because one has only certain amount of power in relationship to that and it's really politically contentious at the moment because as a as a white writer, a white Australian writer, for me to write uh, particularly uh, role, uh, roles for women or, or anybody else of colour... Um, is is quite loaded because you know move over and and, and yes. what right do I have to certain stories and they're, they're, all those things are contentious at the moment. My dilemma is that you write if I keep writing and I don't have that sort of consciousness and and intention, then I will end up writing white plays for a wide audience and it will never contest who we are. So there's a lot more, my, I suppose, interest in colourblind casting rather than the particularities of, um, the, you know, this is Australia. It's madness to go to the theatre and constantly, constantly see white actors. Mm. Um, what, what are you saying? That this is us? Well, I don't think so. And it was certainly not on my tram line or any, anywhere else. And so you kind of... Yeah, that, that. But going back to the gender thing, I, I write for men and women, mm. and and sometimes I write for women. Like my play, shit. I was really interested in writing uh, about three women that was were going to take that space and that uh, pl- and their place in a world when they're really 
they believe they're shit and actually they are. They're at the bottom on the bottom of the barrel. To be able to go to do the fuck you in the in the sense of owning something in a, an incredibly physical and and uh, language wise powerful way is sort of wonderful and rare. And for actors and um, female actors in particular. But I also wrote, you know, I've written plays for all men and I don't don't buy this men hands off, don't write for us. I think that we have to, as artists, have to, whatever your gender is, you have to write well and you have to write well for both men and women and and you have to kind of take it on in a way that uh, cuts with the bullshit stereotypes that we've been put up with for years. So the male is the major protagonist, the women are there to support him, a bit disappointed in him, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, it's nonsense yeah. that both men and women, that we have to step up, you have to step up. And that in turn, that also includes diversity and allow room for um, us to be reflected truly. The House of Bernarda Alba opens tomorrow night at the Fairfax Studio for MTC, runs until the 7th of July. We've been talking to the person behind it, Patricia Cornelius. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. You're in Triple R. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3 Triple R.